What's up, what's up, everybody? We are back to Smoking Word Podcast. Shout out to everybody who's been tapping in. We've been checking those algorithms and all those other big words that people talk about that comes along with this. But we see you tapping Europe. We know you out there. Deutschland, England. We see you South America, Canada. We see you and we coming. But um, today, uh, we, got a, we got something different. Usually we have somebody who's behind an instrument. So now we got somebody who was behind the instruments, instruments. Oh, I don't know how you would say, but at one point he was putting out the music. And besides putting out music, he was putting out protein powder, books, and a whole bunch of other stuff that we'll get into. But um, everybody, I know him as Andy Thorpe. But now, you know, once you write a book and shit, <laughs> Andrew Thorpe, King, the, the author of... Hold the book up. Hold the book up. Yeah. Everybody take a snap shot right there. Boom. Get it. You see right there. A failure rules. Let me read the whole thing. The five rules of failure for entrepreneurs. Um, creatives. King. Keep going. And authentics by Andrew Thorpe King. There you go. And I never knew the King part. You know that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I always went by Thorpe, so. Yeah, Andy Thorpe. No. And by the way, congratulations on the book. Everybody, we'll get into that. But um, no, but definitely, um, before we even start, like I was saying, I want to connect the dots to everybody who, before I let you introduce yourself to our audience, I want to let everybody know that the connection here was, um, it, I was trying to think of the word before, and it wasn't label mates. It was like label partners. Yeah, because right. you were the label, and we were <laughs> the guys behind. But we actually worked in the past with Thorpe Records. If you, I know you guys might have heard of it. I forgot which record or which EP we did. I got confused. But NYHCEP, uh, and that was a good one. That was four. That and that was the that was right. a banger. For my enemies debuted. Hell oh, yeah. hold on, hold on. Now, my I, came to the world. That's the now nah, that I gotta yeah. say. You got yourself some history. I don't usually gas myself up, but when that became part of the, you know, part of the arsenal and no, it was definitely a good time for the band also. But since then, you've done a lot and we're going to get into them. That's what I like to do on the show is like basically besides showing the bands, people from our world who basically are doing, I don't even want to just say bigger things, just other things because other things are bigger things, you know, yeah, for, yeah. for whatever. So, you know, but like I just said, you went from doing records and all that. You know, we'll give everybody a, 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 a like a quick evolution of whatever. First of all, let everybody know the origins, your hometown, where did you come up? Let everybody know you come up because I think I'll paint the picture on. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. The rest for sure. Yeah. So grew up in the Philly area, what they call Delco, uh, Delaware County, which is kind of like this blue collar. It's almost got its own vernacular, its own kind of accent. You know what yeah. I mean? You see it now, like in a lot of shows and movies, like. Uh, what was it, Mayor of Easttown? That was all in Delco. So that kind of brought Delco to the forefront, you know? Yeah. There was a movie with Jeremy Pippen called Last Call. So I come from Delco originally. Yeah. I did live in Ohio for about seven years when I was entrenched in the music industry. Yeah. For Lumberjack, which later became Mordam. I was like a top salesman over there. That's when Thorpe Records was really kind of starting to rise and Sailor's Grave Records was born. Lumberjack, man. I forgot all about, man, yeah, yeah. I forgot the names. I'm like, you know, the it's old. Like, yeah, it's like a whole nother world. It's like years ago. Yeah, 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 I know. Records. It's actually like records and not just like these um, waves that go over the computer and everything. But Philly, of course, Philly, 
besides just you know hardcore punk it's just a music town in general Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just, it's a given, you know? So, but obviously you came up through the hardcore side. That's the, the connection from us, you know? But that's why I always Ooh. love, like, I always say we're more than hardcore kids, but we hardcore kids first. That's you right. know what I mean? That's right. You know, it, that, everything. Whatever it, else you do, you still got that hardcore kid inside. It's, it yeah, comes through, it comes through and no matter what, that's it's right. the fucking, no, the nebulous, the nublius, no, no, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> but Philly, you come up, what well, would, how you know you can't obviously I'm, I'm assuming blue collar family from a working class family i could take from what yeah. was the what was your what was the scenery for you coming up you know um in philly at that time musically and just what what were you doing during i the remember like days? you know like it was like seventh eighth grade you know i was like a into like normal rock and roll stuff right yeah. like sabbath whatever like motorhead you know like whatever and then I had this friend, the skateboarder friend. I was in like the BMX skate culture. Yep. He gave me this cassette tape with like Murphy's Law, Black Flag, old Philly band Why Die, old Philly band Ruin. And like, I just lost my mind. It was like a whole new like world of like energy and aggression. And from then on, dude, I was converted. I mean, the Murphy's Law self-titled record that like changed my trajectory. Like I was in a band year and played with, with, with Murphy's Law. That was like a big deal, you know? Yeah. But that changed the trajectory. And then I remember 1989, dude, when I was managing a skateboard shop and I was in charge of like ordering music for the skateboard shop. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, got ball of destruction, seven inch dude. Yeah. Crazy. Been like hooked on mad ball ever since. So, you know, I was like 15 then I'm 49 then now, you know, I still listen to mad ball. I go almost every day. Salute. Uh, so that, you know, work with you guys back in 04. Like, that sure. was a huge, like, yeah pivotal moment not not just for me but also for the labels it was were, important for us too at that time definitely you know we were getting off other labels and we, yeah. we, we had to let people know that you know we weren't we weren't going nowhere at the time so you know it was uh, yeah it was like important. an entryway back into the space like after hold it down and everything was going on with yep. you guys personally and then for me as a label like that cascaded into signing like Blood for Blood, Slap Touch Shot, Sheer Terror, Ramallah, a whole bunch of other stuff. You know what I mean? Jesus, yeah. We'll get to that because I want to first go into so, because it kind of is in a lead into what you end up doing and the kind of person you kind of started, you know, molding yourself into as far as, so you were managing, you were running a skateboard shop, huh? So yeah, you this know, was years ago, like teenage years. I was, yeah, I was but that's that's where it starts. Where you know, starts. first of all, how many teenagers even have jobs anymore? You know what I mean? In general, <laughs> I, so I salute you on having a job at being yeah. a teenager. But all right, working around the skate shop, you, obviously it starts with the love of music. You sneak in your playlist wherever we can get where we can hear it with permission. Yep, we get it. You start doing that. What's the next move? You're listening to music. You know. Um, you're going to shows where in Philly? Where's your Where's your spot in, oh, in Pennsylvania? Like when you would go check out shows, like where you would say it was like. A so common... we going to the truck and truck, the right. Unitarian Church, man. Joe Hardcore, all the shit he put on. Yes. I remember Joey when he was 16 with a ponytail, moshing with a ranching shirt on. You know, what <laughs> yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout out to Joe. Hell yeah, up, you know. So like, just the whole Philly scene, Robbie Red Cheeks, all that stuff. Uh, but like, my first show was 1989 at Revival, dude. It was. Bad Brains, Leeway, and some band Throttle. And that was like my first show. And that was like, I was hooked from there. Like, you know, my first pit was being in a Bad Brain show. Yeah, you know? that, and that's a great intro right there with Leeway. Shout out to Leeway. That's one yeah. of, you know, for me, Leeway, oh, so important to, you know, my DNA as a musician, you know, for like nope. just what yeah. I like and whatever. So, you know, you're going to shows and all that. What, what are you doing for work? Like, because my whole thing is with you, your whole thing is you done so, you wore so many hats. So it's like, okay, what, what, it started 
there, kind of. All right, you know, you you had the regular kid job, but it's good. Skate shop, you're still within yeah, yeah. the culture, but still you're finding, you know, it, it, I wish I found that I, I um that I wish I realized that there was uh more business and not in the sense of just trying to get paid, but like wow, you could get paid for doing something you love. Like yeah. there was more angles to music than just writing, like putting out a label, uh, right. promoting a band, being you know a manager, right. uh, you know all that. And then I never, not till the later years, it sank mm. in. So I always saluted the. The, the the people when I was everybody wanted to be in the band. I always yeah. saluted the kids that were like, "Yo, I got a zine. Yo, yeah, I gotta yeah, do yeah. this." I was like, "Yo, you gotta love to do that because I know that's yeah, hard yeah. work." You know what yeah, I mean? It's a like lot. you're on the peripheral of the scene, but you're supporting the scene. It's the whole ecosystem mentality, right? Yeah. yeah so I think it was like uh, it's probably like when I uh, was like graduated college. I really leaned into hardcore while I was in college, but then after college, I was. Uh, I dropped like my uh, my student teaching or my teaching degree and just took an English degree. So the world was wide open. I was working as a union steel worker at a steel plant. Uh, and that's when I like, I really wanted to do something in music. So I started writing for music magazines, rock pile, chord magazine back in the day, good old Matt who had two damn oh, yeah, you know? yeah, oh, yeah, cool. And then like, I was like, you know what? This ain't making any money. I'm going to go deeper. So I wanted to start a label. So I actually started shadowing Matt on two damn height. Love the guy. But, uh, you know, there's some good lessons, some bad lessons, you know what I mean? And, uh, yeah, you know, wild style lifestyles. Yeah, yeah, shout out to Philadelphia, Pennsylvania yeah, and all yeah, that. Really wild style. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, ended up, you know, first band just went balls in and signed Breakdown, man. Went and met with uh, Jeff Perlin and Dijon and uh, signed them. This is like decades ago, you know what I mean? And so so like Breakdown was so break journey, you know? Yeah, Breakdown was the first, huh? Yeah. That's great. Again, so important in my DNA. That's like mm -hmm. my, you know, that's my everything. Like, shout yeah, out, Rogers, I had him on the podcast. Roger did, Roger did guest vocals on it. Oh. It was like for surreal for me. Like, I went down to some of the studio with him a little bit, you know, did some of the gang vocals. You yeah. Know, meeting AJ. AJ played on that record. AJ oh. Prella, you know? Definitely. Oh, definitely. And then, yeah. Now, all right, obviously. So you were around Matt and you saw too damn hype and you were like, yo, I kind of like this. I like yeah, this. Yeah. Let me. What made you pull the trigger on it? Was it like, did you see him and say, yo, not obviously he did a good job, but were you like, yeah, yeah I think I could do this. Or you were like, yo, I want to do this because I think I could, you know, what was your objective with it? Or you were just like, fuck, let me just jump into it for the hell of it kind of thing. It was, it was thought out, but it wasn't thought out. It was thought out in the sense it was just like, I had this passion in me to do something to hardcore and yeah. to participate and to contribute and to kind of like sponsor, so to speak, the shit that I love and get it out in the world. And from a financial perspective, I had no idea what I was doing. I figured all that out later, which is yeah. why I wrote this book. Lots of lessons learned in various spaces of the last 20 years. You know what I mean? And uh, feel like I've gained some wisdom to share along. But yeah, back then I just wanted to dive right in. And so I did, man. I mean, and there was a lot of trouble over the years. But at the same time, like here we are over 20 years later, I have two labels, released over 100 releases between the two labels. Absolutely. I still do other stuff full time, but I do the labels yeah. here and there and put stuff out. Still work with some bands on Sailor's Grave Records, Goddamn Gallows, Flatfoot 56, Coffin Cats who are really big in the psychobilly scene. And it's just a, a tapestry part of my life, man. Like music is always going to be a part of my life. I don't want to be passive. I got to be active. So even in my book, like a lot of the stuff I write about in Failure Rules, man, is my experiences in the hardcore scene, how lyrics affected my life and decisions, how like music gave me strength. I got a soundtrack to the book yeah. called The Failure Rules Soundtrack. You know, it's got everything from Madball to I've seen it. Yeah, yeah, you about blasted, which is cool. Actually, a cool thing that you do. You have a playlist. 
yeah. you pass around. It goes with kind of with the book where you yeah. at. Like you know, it's a good, cool, cool thing that you know that you connected with that. And that was the thing. Let let me ask you this: when you did, because I'm we're gonna get into. I know you did a, a bunch of other stuff, but really consolidated in the in the in the record part because that was a yeah. part of you. But you've done other stuff since then. What were some of the 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 problems you ran into in in a nutshell being a new label that maybe other you could you could tell you know you could kind of throw out there right now for somebody for somebody new maybe wanting to try to drop a label what to look out yeah. for in a nutshell like being a new label what should I look out for you got to find what your value proposition is and that's ever changing back then it was all about you really were the gatekeeper like. A band could not get their music out to the world unless they went through you. You went through distributors. Distributors had to negotiate with the stores for shelf space. There was a whole like waterfall of fucking gatekeepers you had to navigate through. You really needed a label and you needed them for financing, right? These days, that's different. You got direct to consumer. You can get right on the mm. internet, go right to the people. But labels still have their place for certain bands at certain inflection points, but not all the time. Bands have more power. That's great. Labels can bring branding. They can bring a network. They can bring financing when you need it. They can bring, you know, kind of a, a, a yeah. proven marketing system. So they still have their value. So I think it's about shaping that value prop if you want to start a label or if you are a label. And, you know, we've kind of developed our niche over time. And we know where we're a good fit for a band. And we can bring value. And there's times you're like, dude, you don't need us, man. You're on your own. <laughs> you, don't, you don't need us. You know? Yeah, yeah. So and that's, and that's that and to be able to have a label that, that's actually working for bands and that would actually tell you that, like, not to try to diss a band, but maybe like yeah. it, we're not the right fit or not needed. You know, you might, it might, yeah. yeah, it's a different kind of gas. You ain't going to put diesel gasoline in, you yeah. know, a regular yeah. gas tank, you know, it, it, everything deserves its own thing kind of thing. I get that. And it's like, and then I know you did the label, you ran, you, it, you were really heavy, you know, on the hardcore side. Yeah. My dogs are getting like, I don't know what they're doing, but anyway. <laughs> but uh, that you were really hardcore heavy with it. I know then you obviously with other bands, you expanded at other labels. Yeah. Where was the next venture? What what during what what made you start your next venture? Was it hitting problems with the label? Or was there any problems or, or you just or within music? Like within, within, just within the next move you made outside of music. Yeah, uh, you yeah. have the labels because you still work within music, yeah. but yeah. There, there was something that said, okay, yo, let me let me kind of oh, yeah. get away from it. Let me move to this while I have this cooking or fishing over there. Let me do something else. What well, was you know, the moment that made you say, I think it's time for something, the next move? I never really had a plan B, man. I was running a gun and my, my plan B was just working in music industry. I worked at Relapse Records for like a couple of years and then oh. Lumberjack for three or four years. Labels started taking off, went out on my own, got an office in downtown Toledo, Ohio. Wow. It was full gunning on two labels with like a full release schedule. I think I was doing like 20 records a year. And I got too, I got too zealous. I got too ahead of myself. I got overextended at the same time, like... The physical world of music was starting to crash. The digital world was rising, but not quick enough. And you had like sales going down, the physical world returns, tower records closed. I got in a financial crunch, man. And I had to, uh, I had to pivot, man. I kind of like laid off staff and just had to recoup and everything else. And, uh, you know, I ended up like then getting into finance and banking, which I've been in for years, which has been amazing because that actually gives me more stability, more money to help me with my hobbies, to help fund the record labels, all that kind of yeah. stuff. But uh, I ended up like really t doing a 180. And then also over the years, you know, I own businesses and like online lending and owned a gym. I wrote a spy novel, you know, so I've done a bunch of different things. You know what I mean? 
Uh, and to me, like, no matter what I do, like I said, hardcore permeates everything. You know, I get up and I'll do a presentation in front of like whatever, like 50, 60 executives right now. And I'm listening to Doc Martin stomp before yeah. I go. Yeah. Presentation because I need that animation. I need that physicality. I need that, you know, that muscularity. What did, what do you think? What was, what was one of the biggest lessons you think you learned? Cause it's a, a, just an across the board business lesson you could pass on because you did it from music to running a gym yeah, yeah. to, to all that. Like, even if it's a concept to stick by, because um, they, it's all business is all starting from nothing and trying to build something. So it all at the end of the day, kind of, you know, it, it's it's some of the same ingredients or the same yeah, concepts. Yeah. You know, like what what is something that you think you 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 kind of chiseled out and kind of figured out that okay, this kind of works across the board for any kind of business to use as a little bit. You know, as one of the chapters in Art of War. You know, something you could kind of pick at. You know, yeah, yeah. I would say like it goes back to a Gene Simmons quote where he says. Uh, you know, it's better to be an octopus than a fish. You know, you get one tentacle sliced off, you got seven left to swim with, right? So it's like, I call it a portfolio pursuits mentality. Always make sure you got two, three, four things going on. If one fades or, or, or it gives you less meaning or less money, you got another one to pivot to. Don't ever over-identify with one pursuit. Be passionate, but softly identify because you have to change that composite over time. But it makes more life life more fulfilling. You have more meaning and you have more opportunities and avenues to make money. If you got, you know, two or three, four, you know, pots on the, on, the, on the stove. You know what I mean? So it's really that kind of mentality that you never just think about just being one thing or doing one thing. You be multiple things, be a fucking octopus, you know, yeah. have those tentacles out there all the time, man. It's kind of what you're talking about. Like not just being, not just playing bass and mad ball. You got the podcast, you do another shit. You got the merch. Like you gotta have that octopus mentality. You have to. And again, it's something I learned even later. And then it was always in front of your face. You know, when you see all, you know, um, the, the big dog, you know, a, a millionaire, a billionaire, whatever, you know, we may see him. Oh, yeah, he's the, the head of Coca-Cola. But, yeah, before that, he also owns this. He owns 30 hotels. He owns 40 Chick-fil-A's. You know, he owns a, you know, a, a yeah. law firm. And then you real like Shaq. I saw what Shaq owned. It's ridiculous. Not ridiculous. And I salute him. Yeah, he's great, man. He's great. Man. He's got some good wisdom right there. Yeah, he yeah. got like 50, uh, you know, uh, wing style, you know, uh, uh, same thing with, you know, who's a great guy that I learned out of all these rappers. I love hip hop almost more than sure. anything, but they got some of the the, most, the stupidest businessmen in that game. But you know who I salute was Rick Ross. I don't salute him as a as a, a former cop trying to say he wasn't a cop. I, I I don't mind. Shout out to the cops. I got a lot of cops that are people, but I'm saying yeah. I don't like people that are faking the funk to try to sell a product. Yeah, yeah, but anyway, but I did salute him in one business thing he did that I learned through my boy told me about it. So in his book, he got. What he would do is, yeah, he has a fleet of Mercedes. You know, yeah, he got 40 Mercedes. But when he's not driving them all, so you know what he does? When his important friends are in town, you want to rent some cars, he's renting yep. those cars out to his... Yo, I was like, wow. His house, he'd rent out to videos because he, he had mm -hmm. a, a mansion that was Evander Holyfield or something really, you know, Scarface yeah, yeah. style. You want to do a movie? Rent my house? I was like, Wow. Man, monetizing excess capacity right there. That's what that shit is. That, Absolutely. And that was something I wanted to ask you about because um, I learned, I didn't know, but I learned that you said you were in the gym business. And yeah, I, I, owned the gym. I, actually, I, I did a bodybuilding show too. I, I didn't know. Yeah, no, dope. And that's good because um, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm far from a bodybuilder, but I grew up around uh, 
bodybuilders in a lot of gyms. My my brother, rest in peace, was always into you know mm. lifting, and his best friend. So I was always around gyms. I'm more of a gym rat now, trying yeah, to catch yeah, up. But um um, I, I there's a lot of things that. Wow, that's also a, a shiesty business. So uh, I know there's some crazy stuff that goes on in that business, oh, yeah. but there's oh, also yeah. some cool stuff. Um, how did it, how, um, what made you get up? Were you training before and said, hey, I'm training, let me try to open up a gym. How did that come up? I've been training since I was 16, never stopped. Did a yeah. bodybuilding show in my early 20s, uh, something like that. Uh, got my picture of muscle and fitness, did pretty oh. good in the, in the show. And was always into like gym culture, you know what I mean? Just it, it's not a big deal for me. I don't I don't have like resistance about working out. I could work out any any time of the day. Yeah, you can give me two bourbons and I'll go go to the gym right after. No yeah, problem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But um, so yeah, I was I was running a uh, online lending company, my friend and I, and we had some excess capital. We were like, yo, what are we gonna put this into? We found this gym for sale. It was a little distressed. It needed some rehab, not so much in terms of the physical equipment, but the, the business model. So we went in and we went in and bought this gym and then we moved our office right next to the gym in the shopping center. So we had like this synergy here, you know, with like two businesses. We like owned this freaking shopping center. Yeah. Uh, and that lasted for a couple of years. But my buddy had uh, made some mistakes in the previous business, ended up going to federal prison. And then uh, things got a little crazy for me when he left. And, like and I said, gym businesses are crazy and gym people are crazy. Some <laughs> of them. There's a lot of crazy. I, I love it. Like, you know, it's, it's funny. It's interesting. Like, I think there should be a move. There's movies on it, but like. There's a crazy. It's uh, like they're all, all characters, all nuts. Oh, all it's like things. chefs, professional wrestlers, and bodybuilders all working out the same nuts. time. I'm like nuts. I remember I was at the gym once where I, I grew up going to this gym, and uh, it was kind of a Roy gym. I never did that, honest to God. I never was into that shit. Always natural, but I hung out with these guys that did. And I remember one day there was like this fight broke out on a Sunday afternoon. This professional wrestler, Al Soul Train Phillips. And this other guy got in a fight over some Roy thing. I swear, I'm working out. All of a sudden, I see like 25 pound plates zipping yeah. out. They're throwing shit. It was like a riot in the gym. It was one of the wildest things I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, yeah. No, that crazy. That drink, I said the gym culture and the chef cultures the behind yeah, 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 nuts. Yeah. I go, there's so much partying and characters yeah. and wildness and. The crazy things people do to get what they want is right. amazing. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to, I you mean, know? it's not much different from hardcore, man. Like I, gym culture, hardcore culture, and like I'm really into cigar culture. Go to a lot of cigar lounges and cigar events, hang out with cigar personalities. That's in my book a lot too. Very similar, both in terms of the brotherhood and the characters and the insanity. So, like, I love all those worlds. You know what I mean? Yeah, I yeah, like for people. sure. I'm in, I'm in Florida, so it's yeah. all cigars. I'm going to Ebor City to go see. Uh, Go see the Misfits reunion show end of June, man. Hanging out in Ebor for four days. You're gonna be there? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Well, I'll talk to you after that. I might see you there. Oh, nice, nice, nice. Yeah, 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 for sure. But yeah, no, that's yeah, exactly. That's the cat. I think Ebor was the first spot that um that Cubans actually touched down in Florida. Yeah, I want to say was capital of the world. My buddy yeah. uh, Rick, Rick Rodriguez uh, used to be the master blender for CEO CAO cigars. He just started West Tampa Tobacco Company. He's down there. Nice. Uh, you know, there's the, the 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 legendary history there for cigar you know culture. Yeah, that that's cool. I I learned the love cigar. I grew up with cigar cigars, not so much smoking them. I now I like having them when you know uh, when there's something special. Yeah, My yeah. mother, rest in peace, was from Nicaragua, so we mm, she grew mm. up. She told yeah, me yeah, she used yeah. to wake up as a little girl and just smell the fresh tobacco. Yeah. They would hang it like yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and I would get and crazy cigar small coincidence my well my mind my mom passed away or whatever and i was in the middle of trying to sell a house there was a lot of problems long story mm -hmm. short i got to sell the house it was to a brand new couple 
And it, they were from Nicaragua. When, oh, we nice. sold, when we sold the house, before we sold the house, they gave me the cigar, two good cigars. They're like, boom. And I was like, wow, you know, it yeah. could have been like for my mom's, the cigar. Yeah. And if you're going to get a cigar, I don't want you to be from freaking, you know. Nicaragua tobacco, man, is outstanding. My friend Joshua Coburn, who yeah. I read about in the book, he's an old hardcore guy. Yeah. He's a, you know, motivational speaker, a writer. He just started dissident cigar company, him and his wife, Sin. Nice. And they moved to Nicaragua, man. And they, they, they're, yeah. you know, the factory there, dude. And, I mean, the tobacco on the Nicaragua is outstanding. Yeah, you know Nicaragua for sure. Cuban Sir, stuff, nothing against Cuban stuff, but you know it's a little bit of a yeah, yeah, it comes, yeah, yeah, for sure. It got its place. Like champagne, you could great, great sh sparkling wine. That's yeah. just just because it's not from champagne. It's right, not right. champagne. I'm like, yo, right. you'd still get something amazing from. From Germany, from right next, for Italy, you know. Okay, it's yeah. not, you know. So we know how that goes, but definitely Honduras. I know about, you know, Honduras. I know, and yo, shout out to the Cubans. Also, we were like, you know, back in the day, we end up in Germany, and we would run into places where we were able to get a cohiba. We were like, yeah. yo, yeah. trying to bring them back, and it was cheap. Yeah. It was a big deal to us, you know. Well, he's like, where it's at, man. My buddy Sean Williams, he's uh, the cigar personality ambassador for Cohiba, man. He also has this great nice. like boutique watch company, man. They just came out with the. Cohiba uh, Riviera cigar, just got a box of those. Outstanding. Cohiba's still top of the game, man. Yeah, it's like it's like like I'm not a beer drinker, and I and I know, but I know what good beer is. But it's yeah. like what a Marshall is, is what a Budweiser is. It's gonna be the standard always. You That's start right. there, now you That's take right. it like dot, man. it's, it's like yeah, a great or like a Heineken. It's just gonna be always across the board. You know what? It, Nike. It's gonna yeah, it's gonna be great. You know, and then yeah. and then it goes off, and then. Gems, this with the book. I know you said you wrote a book, a, a spy novel. So that was what was the first? Was that that before this? Yeah, that was 2015. It was the spy novel. When I got really into spy novels for a while, reading like uh, Brad Thor, Vince Flynn, Ted Bell, Daniel Silva. I just got into that world. I don't really like spy movies so much because it's let it's less realistic. But the spy novels, I really got into the novel. Yeah, so I, I fucking wrote one. I wrote it like this. This uh, you know, the protagonist was like this badass antihero like. You know, Irish American, you know, cigar smoking CIA guy, and uh, you know, I wrote. So I wrote a spy novel, put it out in 2015 as my first foray into books. Learned a lot, and now I do this nonfiction book, totally switching gears. And this one's taken off. You know, what I mean, to be honest with you, this one's like this one. I'm putting more money, more time, more effort into it. It touches so many spaces. I mean, yeah, you know, podcasts from music to entrepreneur. It's to more, yeah, relatable. It's relatable yeah. across the board. Yeah. yeah and yeah. let me ask you this: with the with the book writing. Did you ever, were you writing before that book? Were you one of those people who wrote yeah. down stuff? Because I, was I always, a yeah. okay, so you always. Back in the day, even when I was in like the BMX and skateboard shit, when I was like. Oh, I forgot you. Stuff. Yeah, you said you were writing for the magazines. Got it, well, got I it. Did, I did zines back in the day. I wrote a zine called Shredder's Mag. There was also a, 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 a zine around that time, Styling Zine, which is Dave Fox from Bad Luck 13, Rod Extravaganza was his old zine. He was an old BMXer, was sponsored by Schwinn. So like. It was always like writing, you know what I mean? And it evolved into books. I was really into Rollins and the spoken word shit. So I, I did like journal entry, like poetry books in college and did spoken word events, kind of like Rollins-esque, you know what I mean? But now it's like straight up full length, deep dive books, you know? Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I didn't put it together till you say, yeah, you were writing and that's usually how it starts, you know, you could, cause yeah. I was never, you know, I always wondered like, wow, to keep writing and writing and be able to like, you know, it's like building a song. I'm always yeah. amazed about building. That's why I loved writing music, building, you know, right, yeah. the building. Even how you put that together. Where do you start? <laughs> like, you know, you, some people tell you, oh, we start from the end. Everybody has their crazy techniques or whatever. Process. Yeah, and, that's right. And, and this book right here, how long did it take you to do? 
Seven years, my man. Started in 2013. I was going through some hard times with like a marital divorce, a business divorce from a guy in an online lending uh, business. And like, I was just thinking about all the shit I've been through and like off-road entrepreneurial adventuring over these two decades in all these different spaces. What have I learned? What kept me going? I thought of the Winston Churchill quote that success is going from failure to failure without loss of enthusiasm. I had this fire, this enthusiasm. I'm listening to like Cro-Mags on the beach. Hard times came on, you know, didn't even really, you know, never thought that John Joseph would be writing the foreword to this book yeah, years I'll, later, you know, yeah, but, for which sure. is dope. but like, I just, clock. I was just thinking about like, Man, I got all this stuff in me. I got to get it on paper. I made some loose notes, and over seven years, I iterated, draft to draft to draft, and then I hired uh, Scribe Media, Lion Crest Publishing, who did books for like David Goggins. You know, who David Goggins is. Of course, of course. They did Can't Hurt Me. Stay hard. Yeah, yeah. So they I did his them. book. So I hired them because they're pro. Yeah. And uh, took a year and a half to edit it, come up with all the iconography, all the other like marketing plan, and everything else, and then boom, came out end of September, and like. This is this is my thing for the next two to three years outside of like, you know, managing the labels and, and yeah. stuff in fintech, you know, which is my day job. So like just going all in because, uh, you know, I got passion for it. It seems to be connected with people, it seems to be helping people. And that gives me more gratification than anything, you know, yeah. just getting a message like, yo, I read this chapter. It spoke to me, changed the way I think or helped me understand some things like, look, we're all here for a limited time. We got to do something to help other people. If we think we've learned anything in a humble way, we got to put it out there. Doesn't mean we know it all. That's not that's not what I'm saying. But we got to we got to try to synthesize what we think we know and see if it helps others. Man, that's art. That's music. That's life. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The older I got, the more I started tapping in with that because going through some of my own shit. I had a I had to tap into other people's miseries. I'm saying that with mad love, but like you realize, yeah, yeah. like wow, if I didn't hear that story, I wouldn't know that. I could do this, That's you right. know, That's and, right. then it, and then it made me say the next time a convo came up that maybe I wouldn't talk about my situation. I would bring it up a little bit easier being like, yeah. hey, you know what? Somebody is going to you. There's going to be one person that is going to take something from it. I don't yeah. care what it is. I learned that with music yeah. and now with just something like that. If enough people, I could say if I said one word, if I said meatloaf. In front of a thousand people, I'm gonna get a reaction from a couple of them that is gonna mean something to them. Yeah, somebody just, for whatever reason. I'm just gonna think of Will Ferrell, stepbrothers. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> but then somebody's gonna say, "My mother who passed made me a You know, yeah. exactly. Love. So it's like you know, but it, but it's crazy. And what what I liked about what what you do is, um, I I I would always look at people who wore different hats because, again, I I tended to box myself. And, you know, in box people in general, no, you're, the, you're a label guy. No, yeah, you're the band yeah. guy, you yeah. know, and that's where you stay. And it's like, no, you know, there's a lot of face. Like, I tell people, they're like, I thought you were this, I thought you were that. I'm like, no, there's more to me. And then you realize, oh, there's more to me. Multi-dimensionality, man. It's a key to, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and putting this book together, what you think was the hardest part about putting this? Because... I mean, it ain't hard to take down what's happening to you and putting it together. But was there anything? Did you find out something about yourself that you were maybe like, man? Really there was a couple chapters in there where I was like, yeah. I almost didn't want to write them because it was too vulnerable. You know, I wrote this one chapter about times where I, I lost it all and was fighting and fighting. And I was doing a financial planning practice. And then the uh, 2008 financial uh, crisis hit. Lost a lot of clients, man. And I couldn't find any work, even though I was working all day with clients trying to get sales. 
And I had a young family, man, three kids. And uh, I had to go on public assistance, man. Writing that chapter was very difficult to admit from a pride standpoint because I'm a workaholic. And to admit that I got to the point where that had to happen, that was tough. But that chapter, I referenced Roger Moret's story, man. Uh, him growing up uh, on public assistance, what he writes about in his book, My Riot, and then how that juxtaposes with the song Public Assistance by AF and how, uh, you know, he kind of delineates between, you know, a hand up and a hand out. You know, a hand out, it kind of eviscerates in public assistance. But in his own life, he appreciated a hand up, knew the value of that, the difference on how to handle that. So I write that chapter really referencing Roger. And so that was a tough chapter, tough chapter for me to write because, you know, it, it's, it's a vulnerable place to admit that you got to a point in your life where you hit that valley. You know, you know I struggled out of it, obviously. Right. And, you know, everything's flourishing, you know, now, years and years later. But there was a time, man, where, uh, you know, it, it was tough. Yeah, no, it's it's rough when you're going through tough times and then, you know, you have to kind of face that, you know, um, we, we, the same thing happened with my family at one point, you know, my parents separated and it was uh, me, my brother, my sister, my mother living in a converted garage, a one bedroom mm. garage yeah. with two dogs and yeah. it was crazy stop. But again, you know, my mother had lost a job. And she was a very proud woman and mm. kept it to, I found this out way later, but it made me even more proud of my who my mom's was. Long story short, she went to get a public assistance, which she was one of those who didn't want, but she knew she needed it. She had kids. Mm. She, when she got a first check, she had got a job. She returned the check. She says, I don't need this. I won't mm -hmm. need this, but thank you. Cause my yeah. mother died a patriot. My mother was born in Nicaragua, but when she came uh -huh. to America and America, she even said, I came with nothing, but I came with the with the will to work. And in this country, yeah. if you come to work, you'll make it. My mother came, she my mother had fifth grade education. She had to mm. get uh, permission at 17 to come be a housekeeper in Puerto Rico at 16, got a, a sponsor to come to America as a housekeeper. She made her own life, bought her own house. Wow. You know, came from nothing That's but awesome. taught herself English, became a yeah. citizen within the city. My mom's not when my mom's passed, it was like, no, you put the American flag out. Yeah, you know, right. she's proud that's of right. being a Nicaraguan always. That's but she's like body while still retaining her heritage, right? Yes. You and, don't separate, you integrate. And, right? and we and we also saw look at we all know there's a lot of problems in this country. Nobody's perfect by far. But with that, like my mother saw that when she needed help, she was able to get the help. And she also said, Not everybody wants to flip burgers. That's the problem. Yeah. And it's true. There's, yeah. you know, not it's true. It's it is hard for certain people, but nobody wants the the unglamorous jobs. But there's work. If you re, you got to throw all that, and you just got to make it happen. When you got that, that's right. And that that kind of tells you the the type of person you are. Hey, we got to make it, it happen. Man. I'm yeah. gonna do this so I could get to there. That's right. But you got to do it. You got to do it. You got to go through some of the gritty shit, man, to, to learn that work ethic, to, to appreciate the good stuff when it comes, right? Exactly. Like, I mean, you got to go through that. Like, I think, you know, I think that builds character, that builds gratitude long term. You like, look, man, I appreciate <laughs> getting my Cadillac now and smoking a cigar in my hot tub way more because I was on fucking public assistance once. You know what I mean? Sure. So I appreciate the wealth so much more, I think, than other people because of that, you know? For sure, for sure. And, and and all right, in writing a book, what what are what are some somebody who's thinking about? Yeah, maybe I'm a write. What are what are a couple of quick little like like let's say um um crib notes, up uh, that you learned on writing this book? Like little things somebody should look out for in compiling something. Like where okay. should they start? Like uh, what's your quick one hundred and one for for dummies? How to put a book together for hardcore yeah, kids? Say, think about <laughs> who your audience is first. 
Mm. Who's going to read it and what they're going to get out of it? Don't think about what you want to say. Think about what they need to hear and then tailor what you say to what they need to hear because they don't give a shit about you. They care about what they're going to get out of the book. So you got to put it in a way where they're going to walk away with something actionable or something that really strikes them. I mean, yeah, it's going to have you in it, but you got to make sure that it's 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 reader facing. Yeah. Uh, and then remember what Hemingway said, all first drafts are shit, right? So just get it out, structure it later. I mean, you still want to get it out with some structure if you have the four thoughts, you should, yeah. right? Get but it. don't, don't, you know, like, uh, you know, perfect is the enemy of the good. Just get it out first. Look, this took seven years of reshaping and editing and structuring and I think it became you know, as perfect as it's going to be, particularly with the help of a huge editing team that worked at all the big publishing houses. I mean, that helped too. Yeah. You know what I mean? But uh, you just, you just got to start. You just got to get going. You know what I, I mean? I, Sit down I, and pour it out and then reshape it later. And get I couldn't agree at it. for sure. I couldn't agree more because we just had these talks on stuff with my own um, businesses and stuff that I've done. It's like, you got to pull the trigger. Then you go. Don't yeah, worry about whatever. Let's let because you know you, it'll never it'll never come out. You go, and that's the thing. I wrote this book because of that mentality, right? <laughs> Failure rules is about like you don't want to you don't want to chase failure. You know, it's not failure fucking porn. Yeah. Like you just need to anticipate it when you're doing bold, ambitious, difficult things, and know how to metabolize it, leverage it, and, and make sure you you use it for good when it happens, right? But it's the ready fire aim mentality, right? Yeah. Like, Sometimes you just got to ready fire aim, dude, and figure it out as you go. Because if you sit around waiting for perfect conditions, you'll be sitting around forever and, and you ain't never going to start. You that's a fact. That's a fact. With We have these always when, you know, launching a, a podcast and a, a merch idea, you know, because we're same thing as a musician, same thing I do with songs. Yeah. You know, you're a perfectionist. We also have, you know, you have a style. You also want your idea to be, you know, you, we all know we wanted to be represented the right way. We yeah. want people to get it, right. but we right. end up worrying about bells and whistles when we're like, listen, if the spirit is there, they're going to feel it. Amen. You can, you can refine later. You get other people to come in yes. and layer in their opinion and shape it with you. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like strategic help of those that you trust, who know what you're trying to do. Uh, just like a producer, you know, editing is the same kind of thing, but you just got to get it out with soul first and then clean it up and shape it later, make it presentable and, and, and facing the audience, the reader, the listener, whatever kind of art you produce. Yeah. And now like, okay, now you say, let's say they got, okay, I got kind of, you know, we got, I got some stuff. I got something to say. I'm a writer. I got this. What's a good angle I'm going for? Uh, what's the the procedure or are they, what are the, some of the procedures somebody might take to be like, okay, let me get this printed now. What mm. are some maybe one-on-one ways or options, if any, because I've heard of Amazon doing certain things where, you know, they do book by book and it might work for certain people's things. Is that, are there things like that in the book world? Like what people could look out for? New, yeah, new so book like, writers. I had two different paths. My first book, I did it all DIY. Like I hired an editor off Craigslist. I, you know, I, I hired a designer to do the cover art. It was actually a guy from the music industry who did the cover art for Dropkick Murphy's Social Distortion, Hank the Third. Wow, so man. I hired him to do the cover art, you know, and I hired somebody else to the typesetting. So really low budget DIY. I uploaded it to Amazon. I got it put on there, right? It was print on demand. So they, they, they made them as they were ordered, you know? Uh, but then this one, I went big, got an agency, hired diff two different publicists, yeah, hired, yeah, yeah, yeah. hired all kinds of the marketing agencies to uh, optimize the algorithms on my Amazon ads. I went big, like straight up multi-year business plan. But, uh, the first, the first model is where you can get started, man. You can do a lot on your own with very little money. I think I maybe spent like three, four grand in all to get that first book out just yeah. from hiring different people. Uh, so it's kind of low entry. 
and and you can make it happen, you know. But then it's it's the toughest part for me. You asked this earlier. What's the toughest part for me? Writing a book's easy for me. Envisioning it's easy. Coming up with like the the, the aesthetic is easy. The message. The hard part for me was building the audience. I'd never done that on my own before. For the record labels, I hired that out. Social yeah. media and everything else. Yeah, this is the course. first time I'm doing social media my fir- myself. Trench like, that's work. New, but it's working. But I also had the publicists working the podcast and all that so it all kind of converges but it's the audience building so like for me it's disciplining myself not to write another book just like a band who doesn't want to record because they want to maximize the record they just made so mm-hmm. you go on tour for three years before you do another record it's like, for me it's like i could write another book right now but i'm you know kind of going on this virtual podcast tour and other promotion for the next three years just to build that audience for this book before i hit another one got you and any plans on what you would do next yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm going to do another book kind of based on the themes out of this book, kind of probably take, I have this one, uh, uh, failure rule number three is money is spiritual. It's the idea of uh, taking, taking money and meaning and, and put them together, you know, just like finding a way to make your passions uh, produce money, right? And I think I'm going to do a whole book on that concept. So I already got a bunch of ideas, but I got to let it germinate for a while, build the audience, and then in a couple of years, I'll bang that book out. No and and what, what are some of the things you could tell people also in learning this, you know, obviously, you, you know, when we, when, especially working in music, you meet people of all walks of life. Yeah, yeah. So if you need help, you just, you, you kind of throw it out there and you'd be surprised, you know, from writers, editors, graphic, you know, um, uh, were there any specific people that, you know, that you picked their brains, you know, or obviously yeah, yeah, yeah. that you were like, Oh man, um, what do I do? Like, where, where can I go? Yeah, from yeah. Here? So there's this guy, Shrenevis Rao wrote this book, the art of being unmistakable, huge influence on me in writing this book. Uh, he was like a, a misfit tech guy in Silicon Valley and was stumbling from job to job and decided to just bag it all, move back into his parents, start surfing, and then start podcasting and writing and consulting. And it's all kind of based on these surf analogies. And he just wrote a killer mm. book. He has a podcast called The Unmistakable Creative. I hired him to coach me, man, became friends with him. And uh, he helped me on like kind of skip the line and get over the learning curve. A lot of ways to navigate kind of building this kind of author you know this readership is an author so you know you got to find those mentors you don't always have to hire them right i mean you can be somebody you just know or whatever introduced to but you got to find those mentors and, and see if you can kind of skip the line a little bit yeah no for sure and that that's actually what i was saying which i think is cool with you and it's something that i think maybe you know somehow down the line you you know you should put out in one form or another is um even if it's online even if it's on a on a channel on youtube or whatever you know little short short lessons on yeah because there's a lot of people i know that are writers that want to put books out that would love to put a book out Mm. and don't know where to start like you know start here and work this out and work this if you're writing even because again like you said you know how to do it in magazine form you know uh you know uh, a computer you know promotion form you've seen it in different forms and and i know for a fact i met a lot of different people that like Oh, I would love to write for a book. Or I want to start a zine because they're writers. They don't yeah. want to, they can't write for a band. They're not, they don't want that, <laughs> but they right, want yeah. to get their passion out. Yeah. And I, I'm not a writer and never wanted to, but I was always um, uh, fascinated on how you put it together because I want to yeah. know how it's built because, yeah. wow, like, you know, if starting with the Bible, you know, you could take the, any book, you know, like, wow. You, yeah. What made you first say, okay, I want to do this thing. I want yeah. to write it. I hope people look at it. I want to do it. Yeah. And it's doing it for people. Yes, that's right. Yeah, or else yeah. you would just memorize and do it for yourself. If, you right, know, right, you know, right. You're like, oh, I got my, oh, I got a hundred books in my head. Yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? But it's good. like, it out. Right, right. you got to have that. 
I got something to say and I think I could help somebody or I want to be heard. You know, there's always a message that comes with doing it. And That's I right. think it's, uh, it, I think it would be helpful for people to be able to be like, yo, I, I got to mm. get some, some shit out. Cause I was always wondering how the hell could, well, blood clot, I would hear his stories. He yeah. was one of the first people that I kind of, that I personally listened to on like how, what it, what he was doing to put it together when he was putting mm. together. His yeah. He, he had his writer's room and his walls. Yeah. And, notes and, and that, that. yeah. Talking about that on the rich roll show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and I'm amazed because the same thing with writing music, everybody got a different style, but it's all similar. You gotta make time for it. You gotta put the time in. Protect it and isolate and get in the zone, hear the muse and just let it flow, man. And just, one piece after another and see how you build on it. That's and right. like you said it best, no better way than like you were saying before was like that whole pull the trigger. I mean, there's no better way, a better way, you know, to put this whole thing together than like, you know, if you're passionate about something, you can't think about it. To, if your heart's fully into it, don't worry about your brain catching up. They'll catch up. That's right. You know what I mean? Like the, the and brain. don't worry about outcomes. Worry about process. Exactly. Just keep going on the next step. And the next step will reveal itself after that. Yeah, you might have a vision long term and all the other steps, but they're going to change and iterate over time. Just focus on what is my next step? What do I need to do now? And then plan and, you know, forecast from there. You know, you just got to get in it. And, and for for the Smoking Podcast family, what could you let where you get, what, let them know what's next for you? What's your next move? Obviously going to be touring. Like, are you doing the States? Are you ever planning to go overseas with it? Um. What's the next move for you, uh, people following you? Oh, and, yeah, and also, where can they keep following you? Yeah, you can uh, find the book anywhere books are sold online. Failure Rules with an exclamation mark. Five Rules of Fair for Entrepreneurs, Creatives, and Authentics. Kick-ass audio book, too, if that's your thing and you don't read, man. That's what yeah. I'm going to do. Yeah, the actor from uh, Twin Peaks, Jay Sang, he oh, did the audio version, man. Great. He's kind of a... You know, he did the uh, music video also for Social Distortion Machine Gun Blues. Great and the front movie. layout is great. The color schemes, the hey, layouts, hey, hey. it's really cool. It's like makes you want to grab it. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's cool. The, the, the chick that did the cover art actually does all Stephen King's cover art. So ah, there you go. There you go. Then you got yeah. some hard hitters. And so, but so are you going to, are you got any other, Um, do you, any other, um, like, Besides, po are you podcasting? Do you, do you show, do any other kind of events? Do you show yeah. up or what's the, what, like. Doing as many podcasts as possible, like two to three a week right now. I'm going to keep that going forever. Yeah. I'm start my own podcast next year. Uh, I'm doing a couple of big events this year with like Boost to just sell the book. And I have a merchandise company called Soul and Fire Supply Company that I'm selling stuff to. Nice. I have my own cigar brand for, for that merch too. So I'm doing uh, uh, the PCA trade show in Vegas uh, in July, which is the Premium Cigar Association trade show. So I'll have a booth there selling stuff. Nice. And then I'm going I'm to I'm have a booth at This Is Hardcore, Joey's uh, Fest nice. in Philly. So I'll be selling stuff there. That's kind of the two big events, physical events for this year. Next year, I'll be getting into doing like um, spoken word stuff, yeah. maybe in the music scene, definitely in the cigar world. Uh, and then the, the book actually just got uh, accepted to be in the curriculum at Newman University. Wow. Go the syllabus for entrepreneur minor course, right? So yeah. you're going to have like college kids reading hate read lyrics as part of the <laughs> that, that, There you go. There you go. That's how it works. We got to infiltrate the system. And that's, that's right. great. That's right. and, and that's great. So they could catch you and let everybody know the Instagrams. Again, you could get the book everywhere. Google it. Take a picture of it. Highlight it. Do whatever you got to do. Yeah. But also the Instagram. Let them know the Instagram. Yeah, that's where I'm most active. At Andrew Thorpe King. No E on the end of Thorpe. Just like Thorpe Records, T-H-O-R-P. At Andrew Thorpe King. Instagram, same handle for YouTube. I do some kick-ass videos, kind of, you know, uh, just echoing the themes of the book in a different way there. Uh, and uh, check out the soundtrack, Spotify, Apple Music, The Failure Rules, soundtrack playlist. 
kick-ass punk and hardcore bands on that. That Actually, the songs that helped me get through some of these hard times were songs that I listened to as, as I wrote the book. So straight-up, authentic, genuine soundtrack, man. Great. Um, so check all that stuff out there. And you get a free Failure Rules mini course if you go to my website, andrewthorpeking.com, uh, and you also get you on the email list. Yeah, definitely. We're going to put all that information up. Make sure you go support that. Get the book and go check it out. And for sure, go buy all that. Thor- if you get, you still get anything from Thorpe? Because if if so, everybody go get that Thorpe stuff. Make sure <laughs> yeah, that- yeah, the website's still up. I mean, it's kind of a catalog later at this point. Sailor's Grave's more action active, but Thorpe all uh, stuff's available everywhere, dude. Absolutely, all the records. You know, Mad Boss, Your Terror, Slapshot, whatever else it is. You know, absolutely. And let me know when you make it down to Florida for that cigar stuff. Then then. We get you over here live, and then we do a cigar. We oh, do a we'll, we'll do a cigar cast. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you are you in that area? You're like in Tampa area. I'm in the. I, I, no, I'm. I'll get to Tampa. I'm in the in the South Florida area. So the oh, by, by the yeah perfect. by the heart by oh, the hard rock awesome. area. My, my, I'm going down with my buddy who's a rep for General Cigars, man. Let me so know. We in like Florida. Listen, it's Florida. Yeah. And yeah, if man. something's getting smoked, hold your rocks there, one way or another. <laughs> but no, definitely. Florida. Listen, smoking something different here, but that's not, all right. Yeah. But I'm smoking that too. But listen, no, I became, I, I had a, a couple of good Cubans at a spot downtown. A friend of mine from Canada had a company and he put me on. And nice. I I had it with a nice uh, uh, a whiskey and yeah. I saw the, you saw the, the je ne sais quoi, I think. It's the, the pairings. Huh? You saw the beauty of the pairing. Yes. And I always thought, hey, I get it. Drink wine of a glass. No, but I really got it. And even... Yeah. A little with coffee. I was like, wow. Oh, okay. with coffee. Hell oh, yeah. my God. I think that might be even. Absolutely, Absolutely man. You got to make it. Every man. morning I have a cigar with my Death Wish coffee. Okay. There you go. Absolutely. And you got to make it so we can have uh, some coffee and cigars. But listen, I'm Andy, I'm glad you made it down. Listen, everybody, go get the book. Everybody, especially, again, big shout out to the UK. I'm going to shout out the UK big time because they are tuning in big time. Awesome. So the rest of Europe, you better start subscribing and catching up. Shout out to everybody around the planet. Listen, get the book. Andy Thorpe, you know what's up. Smoking Word Podcast. We out of here. We dropping this Thursday. I'll hit you up later. Go get Thanks, that boy. book. Thanks, love you, brother. Thanks for you having me You know what's up? One love. We out of here. Got it. Peace. Peace.